0: I do think that art is communication. And I do think that if you don't share the work, it makes it a lot harder to keep it going because you're in kind of a closed loop with yourself.
1: This is Let It Out, I'm Katie Dalebout. This week, I spoke to artist Derek Melander. He is a sculptor who works with secondhand clothing to create clothing sculptures that explore the intersection between global consumerism and the intimate relationship we all have with what we wear. I loved this conversation, I love Derek. We share a mutual, very close person to each of us my friend sasha who if you've listened to this podcast for any length of time i bring her up often (laughs) or if you're my friend in person we get into how we met at the beginning of this so i'll just tell you that this conversation covers everything from record club and music and nostalgia to clothing and textiles and sharing clothing consumerism leaving traces making art Friendship, relationships in general, family, connection, socializing, the power of the neighborhood. And it's a long one, so we're going to get to it as soon as possible. However, although this episode is on the longer side, I want to start us off by reading something to set the tone. Derek mentions art school and There's a point in this conversation where he talks about starting his career as an artist and having to unlearn to find his own process in creating art. And at the time he was working with his dreams, which is a really interesting part of the conversation that we'll get to. But I mentioned these art rules from Sister Karina Kent, and I'd like to read them now. So settle in. This is a long episode. It's going to be a long intro, and perhaps, you know, you listen in a couple sittings or walkings or drivings or laundry foldings or dish washings, however you're listening to this. So I'm going to make a long episode a little bit longer now by reading these rules. Maybe you've read them or you've seen them shared before or you have an image of them Maybe you've never heard about them before. They were shared with me a couple years ago, and I read them often. I return to them. The list is called Some Rules for Students and Teachers. It's attributed often to John Cage, but it originates from artist sister, Karina Kent. I read on the internet that they were created in 1967 for a class that she taught And then they became the official art department rules at her alma mater, LA's Immaculate Heart College. She was an artist, an activist, an educator. And if you haven't seen her work and her art, look it up. She used everything from film and folk art to calligraphy and advertising in her print work. And she seemed like a really special person. She taught... And made art throughout the 1960s, a time that was fraught with social upheaval and, you know, a lot happening, much like today in that way. And I just think with so much heaviness in the world around us that reading something about creativity and listening to a conversation that is filled with a lot of lightness and talk of friendship and connection and neighborhoods, you know, it's kind of what I want to hear right now. And I hope this can bring some joy in a time that is filled with a lot of heaviness. And I don't know about you, but I've been reading and listening to what's going on in the world and it's intense and heavy. And this is not that podcast, this is not a podcast. This is not a journalism podcast. This is about making art and connecting and friendship and making relationships and discovering our feelings and trying to be better at being ourselves. And we're not making an impact that will educate people about the state of the world But there are so many beautiful podcasts that do that, and I highly recommend staying informed and understanding what's happening around us. And I also highly recommend being gentle with yourself and tuning out at a certain point and tuning into something light because we have to manage our own Nervous systems, so we don't burn out and we can be useful to other people and ourselves. And with that, back to Sister Karina Kent. So during that time in the 60s where she was creating art, she made this list of 10 rules for art students and posted it in the studio. And what I like about this list is that they support being gentle with ourselves while also pushing ourselves. And above all, they allow for evolution. I find them comforting. Like I said, I read them from time to time. And when you hear me mention them in this conversation with Derek, an artist that I love, you'll, you'll know what I'm referring to. Okay, so here they are. Immaculate Heart College Art Department Rules. Rule one, find a place you trust and then try trusting it for a while. Rule two, general duties of a student, pull everything out of your teacher, pull everything out of your fellow students. Rule three, general duties of a teacher, pull everything out of your students. Rule four, consider everything an experiment. I love that one. Rule five. Be self-disciplined. That means finding someone wise or smart and choosing to follow them. To be disciplined is to follow in a good way. To be self-disciplined is to follow in a better way. Rule six, nothing is a mistake. There is no win and no fail. There is only make. Rule seven, the only rule is work. If you work, it will lead to something. It's the people who do all the work, all the time, who eventually catch on to things. Rule eight, don't try to create and analyze at the same time, they're different processes. Rule nine, be happy whenever you can manage it. Enjoy yourself, it's lighter than you think. Rule 10, we're breaking all the rules, even our own rules. And how do we do that? By leaving plenty of room for X quantities. Helpful hints, always be around. Come or go to everything. Always go to classes. Read anything you can get your hands on. Look at movies carefully, often. Save everything. It might come in handy later. Okay, and now my conversation with Derek. I'm really happy you're here. If you're new here, welcome. I'll speak to you at the end. Derek, I'm so happy you're here. We were talking about podcasting a little bit as a medium, and I was like, we should start recording this. But <laughs> I'm just so happy to be talking to you. And, you know, I think it would be interesting as a place to start to talk a little bit about how we met. So I'll start. <laughs> and, <laughs> I think maybe the first time... I'd heard about you a lot from our our mutual friend, Sasha, Sasha Jones. Oh, um, she's amazing. Well, she's amazing. I mean, <laughs> wow. Truly incredible. We call her my um, non-birth mom. And <laughs> she has been on... Everyone here knows her, if you've been listening for any amount of time. She's been on this podcast probably more than anyone else. She interviews me every year for my birthday and she's been a guest many, many times and is just probably one of the most special people in my life that I've met ever. And we met in such a kismet way nine years ago. And I know you and Sasha have been friends for a really long time. And anyway, I I guess we must have met, you know, maybe at one of her holiday parties or something i'm sure and then my real first memory of meeting you was at a record club which we'll get into eventually but we did one on the roof and i just remember thinking you were so cool and <laughs> wanting to to know more about you and then i went and saw one of your installations with sasha and before i left new york and that was incredible and you know we've kind of kept wow. in touch ever since <laughs>
0: that's amazing do you remember what installation you saw
1: yeah it was i it was in the lower east side i think it was the one with eileen fisher
0: oh oh or 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 maybe it was at um love henry
1: yes yes that's oh
0: yeah my friend Catherine's store Oh, that's so cool. I'm so glad you got to see that. And I'm really flattered you made your effort all the way down to the Lower East Side. Although if you were hanging out with Sasha, you probably weren't that far away.
1: <laughs> no, I wasn't. I think I still lived in the East Village then. I walked oh, for sure. Cool. But maybe I was living in Brooklyn. I don't know. Either way, I loved it. And I I'll, I have a photo definitely of, of Sasha and Didi and I at the in front of your work that we probably sent <laughs> you that I'll have to find. But Anyway, I loved it and would have checked anywhere to to see your art. Oh,
0: well, I'm really, I'm so flattered. I'm so flattered that, that you did that. And I will have heartily agreed. Sasha is really one of the most special people in the world, without a doubt. And I know that you and I are not the only ones to feel that way. She has a, a large fan base.
1: <laughs> totally. And she's actually, she's introduced me to a couple people. Early on, she had someone that she knew came on the podcast, maybe one of my like third or fourth episodes, like many, many nine years ago, I guess. And every once in a while, she'll, you know, kind of nudge me in the direction of someone I should talk to on here. And and recently she, or a couple of months ago, I guess she was like, you should, you should talk to Derek. And I was like, that's a great idea. And here we are.
0: Well, I'm really flattered that you followed up on that. And uh, honestly, uh, your, your show is amazing. And I love the way you, I love your interview style. You have a great voice too, you know.
1: So do you. <laughs>
0: oh, thank you.
1: <laughs> well, I'm curious. I don't actually know, or maybe Sash told me, but I forgot. How did How did you meet?
0: Oh, so actually, speaking of Record Club, that's how Sasha and I met. She was a guest of Allison and Joe, who were at the time core members, we can talk about more about that later, but but they were regular members, and they in, were inviting Stash as a guest more and more frequently. And obviously, I was charmed, and we became friends. And she became more and more of a regular guest, and eventually, she became like a core person who who like comes every you know to every record club and has and has guest privileges. You can invite a guest when you're a core member as well, and. We've just been fast friends ever since. And uh, I I think our friendship deepened when she had trained in holistic health and healing and nutrition, done her work in that, her like formal study. She did a class uh, that linked nutrition and creativity, which I took, which was so cool. And um quite emotional at times. And uh, yeah, I loved it. And I you know, and and doing those classes in her in her living room with a half dozen or so other people really made that bond even tighter. And then eventually, um, eventually record clubs spun off and there ended up being two record clubs and I uh, ended up being in, in that in that same record club. And she has been the spitfire of of that whole thing (laughs) ever since she, I don't think it would exist without her. She's, she's been really energetic about it. And she and her husband, Mike often cook a delicious meal and host as well. So, yeah. Mm. (laughs) So.
1: I didn't realize that she started as a guest until right now. Yeah, Yeah.
0: she did. She did.
1: Who knew there's hope for guests.
0: (laughs) Yes, it is actually it is actually a path to being core, you know, but but it doesn't happen very often. We're such as a small little nucleus. It's just Sasha Jones, Brian Waterman, and me as core people. And until until one of us leaves, it's probably going to stay that that way. I think also really what has deepened that friendship also is that record club is is this well should I tell you a little bit about what it is? I mean I guess you know obviously you're let's
1: get into two time guests now. (laughs) Let's get into (laughs) record club. But I well I'm curious, how long ago was was this?
0: Oh boy. Well, you know, we started in nineteen ninety-eight and I think she probably came within the first maybe six months. Wow. So So pretty pretty early, pretty early on, yeah decades. Actually, I could look at the website and tell you exactly when she joined and what her first song was. Cool. Even.
1: <laughs> I feel like we need to bring everyone up to speed because we keep mentioning Record Club <laughs> and it's rude of us to not define it and that was going to be one of my questions for you. Anyway, so tell us about it and how it began and maybe explain how it works and how special it is and and some highlights. You bet.
0: Since nineteen ninety eight, every every month or so, I meet with maybe six to ten other people. We get together and we have a, a listening. It used to be like a listening night. Sometimes it's actually during the day now. Or in we the case of the one
1: we just had, it was night for some of us, early morning yeah. for some of us, afternoon yeah. for some of us. We had what yes. five time zones, I think.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. It has been it has been morphing, and the the pandemic really increased the speed. So we we get together and we listen to music and um, everyone plays two songs and we just listen in silence. There's chit chat in between, of course, and you can talk about the song you played if you want to, but we just really get together and listen to music. So I think really uh, I've gotten to know Sasha through actually not talking all the time. You know, it's it's part of the way I know her is from listening to the music she shares, you know, and you, you communicate a lot with the music you share. Not just in terms of your taste, but also you can kind of communicate what's going on for you or your mood. In this case of Sasha, quite often what what is being expressed is joy. <laughs> so she's a delight. It's really started out really as this idea that was birthed by uh, Meg Malloy and Dan Carlson. They had, they had been both in a book club and they were talking about, wouldn't it be cool if there was like a book club for music? And so the idea came because they would use sort of like a book club format, but like play songs. And so, it, you know, and, and for me, it really is kind of like a mashup of that kind of, I've never been in a book club, but I think of them as kind of intellectual and very grown up. Whereas I think a record club is kind of like a mashup between this idea of like this grown up, you know, sophisticated intellectual book club and this kind of teenage emotional, Goofiness of like you know sharing your new favorite album with a bunch of friends, you know, kind of like um, I don't know if you used to do that, Katie, but I used to invite people over and we'd hang out in my bedroom and and it'd be like, Well, have you heard this new song by so and so?
1: I love that, yeah. I feel like for me it was more making each other mix CDs and then Uh, driving around listening to them.
0: Oh, yeah. Oh, that's a good one too. Yeah, I definitely have songs that that I associate with with certain people driving around.
1: Yeah, so maybe explain. So the format is you listen to like get into the minutiae of it because I think that's what makes it so special. And I I love what you said about listening. Like you can learn a lot about a person. You can become friends with a person based off of not talking. I think that's a really interesting concept, and I also love that people come alive when they talk about, you know, people love talking about themselves, right? Which is fine. And we all do. And, you know, that's part of it is ego. And part of it is just genuine. Like, it's a way for us to connect. Like, I believe it creates intimacy, you know, to to see each other. Right. But there's also something about connecting over geeking out, I'll call it, on what you love, like something <laughs> yeah. really comes alive when you lately it kind of happened in the most recent record club that I just attended as your guest where, you know, Brian and I I played this song that I was self-conscious about how long it was, but Brian was like so was happy amazing. to know it existed and like that made me feel so excited that I was able to to tell him about this cover that he didn't know existed of this song that he really loved, of, you know, this artist that died. And like, it was really a, a cool, special thing, you know, like that can make a bond more so than where did you grow up? How, you know, that sort of thing. And, and I just think that's the beauty of record club or the beauty of art in general, or, mm-hmm. you know, food or like anything that you can connect and get excited about. There's a real richness there.
0: Yeah, it's like it's like, oh, you oh, you get me. Mm -hmm. Or oh, I get you.
1: Yeah. And I think that happens and I've been thinking about that a lot, even with astrology, right, is becoming so part of our language, right? And how people will say, you know, well. Well, I'm a Virgo, or oh, that's because you're a Virgo, or that you're a whatever it is, right? I don't know enough about astrology to like give the examples, but I've been thinking about it and all these personality tests or whatever it is. It's like, this is how I am. Here is a shared language that we have for me to tell you how I am. And maybe you're like that too. And that, as a means for connection, is really beautiful. And it, it just shows that we're starving for that, you know? And I think Record Club does that so beautifully.
0: Yeah, it it's definitely it's definitely like a a form of, of communion, you know, for me. And and I, I, I use that word a little bit sheepishly because I think people think of like religion and the Eucharist maybe when when you say communion, but but I really just feel like there's this kind of togetherness that is it's not verbal. You know, you're not really, it's not this conversational thing, but it is togetherness but you're not just sitting there staring at the at, at each other in silence you know which would probably be more like a, maybe a a meditation retreat or something like that but you are probably looking at each other and you are sharing you know so it's this it's this very unique way of being together and i feel like it's there's this kind of exchange that happens that's different than than other situations
1: yeah there's a real beauty to it. Do you have any highlights looking back over the last however many years?
0: Oh, for sure. I think one of my favorites is when I played, uh, you know, we're not supposed to talk during Record Club. So it it really sticks out to me that when I played um, early on, I played "Oh Bondage, Up Yours by X-Ray Specs. And my friend, Meg, who's not supposed to be talking when my song was playing laughed uncontrollably for like three minutes just I don't know why but it just made her it just made her laugh so hard that, that it, it just like you know maybe a little bit like the giggles when you're not supposed to giggle and you yeah and, which is what makes you have the giggles you know yeah um, I, re- I really remember that for sure I'd say I also really remember how important it was to get together after nine eleven. Because Sasha lives downtown, and at the time, Brian and his family lived even closer to the World Trade Center. And getting together and being in the same room together and sharing an evening together without necessarily a lot of talking was really a balm for my heart. It's not like necessarily everyone played music that directly addressed what was happening all of our hearts were so heavy, you know, and it's obvious it was so it was something you really couldn't stop thinking about. So even, you know, no matter what anyone played, you kind of saw it through the lens of nine nine eleven, I think, in a way. And so it was a kind of communion, nonverbal, because at, you know, at times really there's really not much to say in a way. It's really a, there are times that are sort of beyond words. And so I think those months that followed were it was just really so essential to kind of be in the fold with, with everyone and, and, and just be listening to music and trying to have some kind of normality. I actually had to go and look up what I played because I couldn't remember. But in October that year, I played the doors, take it easy. I guess it's called take it easy, baby. Um, You know, take it easy, baby, which I think says a lot, (laughs) take it as it comes. And then I played um, a song called Bostitch by this band called Yellow, which is just the most strange and goofy, irreverent song you could probably, one of the most <laughs> crazy songs you could come up with that's silly and funny, uh, you know, in the same club. And I think that kind of sums up a lot because on one hand, you're just kind of like just taking it a day at a time. And then on the other hand, it's kind of like, let's, can I just smile, please? Can, I, can something make me laugh, please?
1: Yeah, that had to be a really interesting time for all of you. It's something I remember when I moved to New York and I would, you know, be at Sasha's house for, you know, many of those soup nights or beautiful meals that, that she would make and, and we would all be in the living room. It was something that came up mm. somewhat often. And I was so curious, you know, because I obviously remember 9 11. I was, a kid and I was in Michigan, but I, I was so interested to hear about what that time was like for you all there and being there and, and her and her friends. And it was something that I was so curious in this, you know, almost this like historical voyeuristic sort of a way and having this understanding of hearing your experience with it. And I hadn't thought about the first record club after. Yeah. We I kept hear- going yeah and probably was so cathartic i'm I'm curious if the pandemic mirrored any of that the first few record clubs with that, and you know having to move it to zoom and you know if you felt any sort of similarities or just what pandemic pivoting of record club felt like for you
0: oh yeah, that's a good that's a good question actually, there definitely are. Our parallels, I mean, I think the pandemic was like a, was just this kind of like slow dread that just kept getting, especially at first, just kept getting worse and worse. And there's this kind of sense of like ennui and angst and disbelief, you know, and and all of the politics around it too, you know, but it was much more of a kind of a slow unfolding as, you know, whereas nine eleven, it was just like, it was just like a nightmare. I look back on it and, and I just like, it just, you just can't believe that that actually happened, you know? And yeah. then you just think about the way it unfolded and it's just like, yeah, yeah. you just can't make it out, you know? It's just Whereas I think with the pandemic, it was really just so much uh, about like a relief from the isolation of the pandemic, you know? And so, and so getting onto a zoom and seeing and seeing familiar faces and seeing new faces and knowing that we're all going through this in, in, you know, in the same but different ways. I think I just almost wanted to cry as soon as the Zoom started, you know, and all the faces appeared in their little squares spread across my screen. (laughs) What a weird, that is such a specific and weird thing. I think we're going to look back at like screen grabs you know, of us being together on Zoom during the pandemic and the uh, someday. And those images of it are just going to look so weird.
1: Yeah, <laughs> I know. <laughs> I ju- know. <laughs> it, it's truly wild. I, I have similar feelings about, you know, I'll ha- it'll hit me sometimes, not as much recently, but, you know, over the last, what, two years or so. Of this, where I'll, you know, just even seeing people walking down the street in masks, or you know, the reality of the situation of like, I can't believe this happened, you know, like when forgetting what it was like in a pre-pandemic existence. And I turned thirty, April thirtieth of the onset of the pandemic and the first year, yeah, yeah, first, you know, second month in or first month in almost. And I had this funny Zoom birthday party, I guess we'll call it, where, you know, I sent out an email of like, you know, I guess I'll invite everybody I know everywhere, which is kind of cool. Like that wouldn't happen other than maybe like my funeral or wedding. I have one of those. (laughs) Um, So come to the Zoom. What else are you doing? You know, and it was such a weird group of people because you know, it was someone in Ohio and Los Angeles and New York and Australia and Paris. And that was really beautiful. And I, I found recently, like to your point about the screenshots, like I, I put them in a folder. I I took a screenshot or two of that and it's in a folder and I'm happy that I have that on my computer because of the wildness of it all. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Cause we're all kind of, I I mean, I, I guess there's nothing weird about about a Zoom call and, you know, we were doing, I was doing WebEx meetings at work before that, but I think what's, I don't know if it's going to be visible in those screen grabs, but I think the idea of like all these people looking out, looking into their screens and seeing all these other people looking out into their screen and all of us feeling somewhat bewildered. <laughs> Yeah, that's what I don't know if that's going to translate. I don't know if that'll be visible in those screen craps, but that's definitely how I was feeling.
1: Yeah, me too. Or we'll remember it when we see it, right? That's kind of like the I think, thing yeah, that a we'll photo remember can it. Do. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah,
0: kind of like when you smell a, an, an old perfume you used to wear.
1: Oh, totally. Yeah, I mean, it's nostalgia. I think that's that's the interesting thing about memory, right? It's like our memories yeah. are so. Fleeting. Like I said this to you, you know, you looked up a song that I played at Record Club so many years ago, and I (laughs) wouldn't have remembered that without being prompted. But the second you told it to me, I definitely remembered. And I remembered more about that night because you told me that. And I think that's what's interesting. Like I sometimes don't know if I have a memory of something or if it's because there's a photo of it or, you know, the smell, there's this. Bar of soap, I'm staring at it right now, that always makes me think of when I first moved into this apartment. And it's so distinct. And it's something that my dad's wife sent me when I moved into my apartment in Greenpoint, like many years ago. But when I shipped all my stuff from New York, I hadn't used it. And it was one of the strange slew of items that came here. And I was (laughs) in this apartment and I didn't have, you know the basic things like soap and I found it in a box and I was like, Oh, great. And now I like, don't want to smell that. I did th- this with songs a lot, actually, where it's like, I don't want to listen to it too much. Cause I don't want the memory to shift out of what it brought me back. Uh-huh. To. Totally. So it's interesting. <laughs> <laughs> I
0: I mean, like- I, at first I thought you were saying that you had the same bar of soap, uh, like open, like, and you're using it in Greenpoint and you still have the same bar of soap in in California. And I was thinking to myself, you got to wash your hands more. <laughs> <I know. laughs> you
1: are the reason for the pandemic. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, no. It's like a bar of soap that I keep in the kitchen, but like, I feel like I don't really use Soap in the kitchen, so some, it is still going from when I moved in here. But I feel like in the kitchen, <laughs> yeah. I don't really wash my hands with soap. I end up just using the dish soap. You know what I mean? Anyway,
0: yeah, right. Because you, well, uh, why wash my hands when I can wash this dish and wash my hands at the same time?
1: Right, right, right. <laughs> We're just being, you know, environmental. Which, speaking of, I, you know, I'm sure we'll get back to Record Club at some point because it's just so special and I'm so happy it exists. But I want to talk too. about. Your art, so you work with recycled clothing. I'm so curious. how did you get into that, and what is your background as an artist?
0: Oh, thank you for asking. I went to i mean <laughs> well, when I was six, no, I, I won't yeah. do that, too. but um definitely uh, definitely a creative kid, and uh, my dad was an artist. My grandma was was an artist, so there was a lot of art around. I ended up deciding to go to a school of visual arts for my b a. And I've been really pretty dedicated to it ever since. It's funny though how I got into secondhand clothing. Art school was like really great, but at the same time I really kind of felt like they they saddled me with a lot of dogma and a lot of a lot of useless ideas about like what art is supposed to be like and and so, after I graduated, I kind of went into like a little bit of a crisis where I kind of didn't really know what to do next, and I felt like I could hear all of my teachers' voices in my heads telling me like what a real artist is, you know and what a what a what a, what a drawing was supposed to look like and how things were supposed to be displayed <laughs> and um and so I decided to give myself assignments every night before I went to sleep. To try to solve problems in my sleep and use those my subconscious mind to suggest ideas for new pieces of artwork, which I did, and it was really it's great. So cool. It really did totally free me up. It totally did free me up, and I ended up doing a bunch of things that were all completely disconnected <laughs> and completely weird <laughs> and crazy. <laughs> but um, but one of the things uh, one of the things I decided to do was collect vintage metal suitcases and carved figures into the lids of them and I was really stuck on how to display them. I had one on like a little white pedestal, like a gallery pedestal and it looked really really like frumpy and and formal and then uh, you know I put one on the floor but then you couldn't really see the detail of the carving that I did because it's obviously five feet away from people's eyeballs. And then I screwed one into the wall. And then people, when when I showed it to them, they would be like, "Why is the suitcase screwed into the wall?" <laughs> and uh, which you know wasn't the conversation I wanted to have. So I thought, I know, I know, I know. So let's let's think about like what would be like a, a kind of inevitable way to display this. What would be kind of a self evident way to display this? And I was like, Well, what are what are suitcases connected to? Like, what are, what do we associate suitcases with clothes so I was like, oh, okay I know I'll make like a pedestal out of clothes and I'll put the suitcase on top of the pedestal of clothes so I started doing that and, and I thought that was working pretty well. I was enjoying that. But the funny thing that happened was the more clothing I brought into my studio to make these pedestals, the more and more interesting it became. And I don't know. I don't know. I, I'm sure this must happen to you a lot, Katie, because you are such a well-versed person. And, you know, you, from all of these podcasts, you must know so much about so many different kinds of things.
1: Well, that's very nice.
0: (laughs) I'm sure that I'm sure that has to be the case, but but and it certainly seems to be the case when I listen to your (laughs) podcast. Thank you. You're welcome. But I think for all of us, you know, the more you know about something, the more interesting it becomes. You know, and so the more I worked with clothing, the more interesting it became. I think what really knocked me out of my ass was was at one point I was given a bag of clothing by a local church, and I took it into my studio and I opened up the bag. And right away, I could smell the whole family, not in a bad way, but like I could smell the kind of detergent they used. I could smell the mom's perfume, maybe intermingled with the man's cologne, his aftershave. And then as I went through the clothing, I came across a bunch of baby clothes and I could smell the new baby. And I just, it was just like, well, I felt like I, felt like I had the, the whole family there in my studio with me. And I thought to myself, you know, this is a art material that I could make artwork with for a very long time. It's resonant. And I don't think I'm going to run out of things to do with it. And so I just started dedicating myself to it. And, and my prediction was correct. I still have journals full of ideas that I've yet to execute because there's just only so much time in the day.
1: That's so funny. It's related to, you know, what we we're talking about, about nostalgia and the the smells yeah. and the, you know, what objects, you know, have so much meaning. And it's so interesting about your experience in art school, you know, like how you had to almost unlearn and reteach yourself yeah. some, some skills. It, it made me think about, or, you know, giving yourself assignments. I, I love, I love that. That's really cool about the Essentially, dream work, right? That yeah. you that you were doing. I, I was listening to a podcast with Kirsten Dunst and, on Terry Gross on on Fresh Air, and she was talking about you know her newest film, Power of the Dog, and oh, it's so king. good. Yeah, and she was talking about how her acting coach and her work with her dreams, and they do a lot of dream work of how she finds her characters, and I had oh. never considered that as a you know, method of, of acting or, you know, in your case of, of any sort of art. And I, I really, I think there's so much richness there, you know, sometimes I'll wake up from a dream and be like, wow, that was creative. You know what I mean? Like, wow. (laughs) My conscious mind has never thought of anything that, you know, and then I don't even, (laughs) but, um, you know, or I write it down. I'm like, what? Pardon? That like, that wasn't, you know, but.
0: You do write it down sometimes though.
1: I should more. I really should more. Do you still work with your dreams?
0: I should too, but uh but um I sometimes do write them down. I do like to tell my husband about them at the very least, which does make them stick around a little while longer anyway. Mm-hmm. I find if I don't talk about tell somebody about it or write it down then it's lost pretty like within the details start disintegrating immediately once I open my eyes which I think is the case for most people but um if I talk about it with someone it might linger with me through the day and I think the the the, really my my interest in dreams came out of reading Jung and then you know it's so hard to tell I was so young then (laughs) so long ago but I think I had come across the idea of lucid dreaming and the oh, yeah. idea of auto suggesting ideas to yourself as something to address in in a dream. And so the way the way I did that was I got I had a little cassette recorder with which had a built-in mic on it and I would just have it right next to my bed and then I would as I was drifting off to sleep I would say to myself I want to have a dream about an art object I want to wake up And be dreaming about an art object. And I would just try to think about only that as I, as I fell asleep. And then, and then I would do, and then I'd have a dream where like, maybe it was kind of the classic, I don't know about you, Katie, or or, or listeners, but I had sometimes have dreams where I went to work in my pajamas, or I forgot that I'm not wearing pants. Like I've got everything else together, but I forgot to put the pants on or something. And maybe that's connected to my work with clothing. (laughs) (laughs) but I'd have like a dream like that. And then, and then I'd think like, wow, I, I better, I better put something on and then I'll open the closet and in the closet is like a sculpture. Whoa. <laughs> and then I wake up and like, and it's, it's like, it's just kind of hilarious.
1: <laughs> yeah. It's interesting. Like around the time that I met Sasha, actually, I think it this is like really close to when I graduated from college and I I was like 22 and I was living and I was living by myself, but I had just like moved away from where I grew up. And I was still in Michigan, just in Detroit. And I got really into, I I was like kind of trying all of these holistic and wellnessy things and like really going down the rabbit hole, which is like a whole nother long story kind of in a problematic way. (laughs) But one of the things I was trying was lucid dreaming. And I remember like, that's a thing about it is that you Writing them down immediately or talking about them immediately, you kind of have to catch it right. And you know, I think it's an interesting thing to play with, and it's cool to hear about. And it's cool that it was, you know, therapeutic for your unlearning. You know, I think about have you read the Immaculate Heart College art department rules by Sister Karina Kent?
0: Oh, no, please do tell.
1: Oh, they're so good. I'm gonna send them to you, and I feel like. Rules like this, and you know, I think there's other J- Julia Cameron's work, right? The Artist's Way. Have you ever mm-hmm. gotten into yes. that or done Artist Morning Pages?
0: Actually, that was part of the the class I took with Sasha, actually, oh, cool. and yeah. and we, we did use some of those techniques. I'm trying to remember. I think that, yeah, I think the morning pages were really useful for me, just as a way of like, of like working through things and, and kind of helping me to understand what was going on in my own mind in a way that I might not have had otherwise, you know, it's easy to, to kind of avoid, push that stuff under.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, I think that's Julia Cameron was just on NPR this week, a little segment. I just listened to it and and she, that's what she was saying about morning pages. It's like, it, it makes it very hard for you to ignore your own shit. You know, she didn't say, that, (laughs) you know, like it really puts a mirror up in your face of what you might be avoiding or, you know, it really informed my, my work. My, my book is, is about journaling because of the artist way. But number one, I call it the morning dump because I thought it was funny, but it's, you know, this exercise to be done first thing in the morning based off of Julia Cameron's, the artist ways morning pages. Mine's just a bit more directed with some Questions and prompts to kind of get you into those dusty corners of your mind and, and consciousness that you might want to avoid, but like you said, it, it it forces you to examine, you know, what you've maybe been avoiding. And I think her concept of doing it first thing in the morning really lends itself and is related to what you're talking about about dreams, you know, about kind of catching it. Right, it forces you mm-hmm. to see what you woke up with, and I find that. I feel so much more clear in the mornings and in the evenings, like just before bed or just when I wake up and then, you know, all this other like gunk of consciousness and grounded. Yeah. Like of taxes Mm -hmm. and, you know, dealing with what's coming at us, that it, it starts to go or just dissipate. It doesn't go, it just kind of gets covered up and then we sort of reset. And, and I think that practices like that, you know, the the longer we can kind of stay in the morning routine sort of all day long, that's the ideal, right? That presence, that's, that's connection, right? It's connection with ourselves. And that I think is, suits itself to be really fertile for ideas and art and, you know, therefore connection.
0: I've never used morning pages as a way to be creative. It's, always been more of a, of like a way of kind of dealing with anxieties and dealing with problems. You know, I haven't really used it in a way that's fun. (laughs) So maybe I have to read your book.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I think you, like Julia Cameron's book too, is just so, it's about like, I think she calls it like healing your inner artist, but it sounds like your inner artist is very healed and robust and constantly making things. So I don't think that that's necessarily like what you wouldn't need to use it for, but there's this beauty, I think, in allowing everyone to feel creative, whether you're an artist as a profession or, you know, you're someone who you know works in finance, like finding this part of yourself to nurture the creative impulse, I think is so Beautiful, and that was something I, I did. This group similar to, to Sasha, where I called it Creative Underdogs, and I think having things like that to show that you know that we're all creative. You know, we all have it within us, but we get bogged down by you know, like I was saying, with realities of the day.
0: <laughs> hmm. I think that makes a lot of sense regarding the sharing part. I think that there's this idea out there of art for art's sake, and I would never try to tell anyone what art is or what art's for. <laughs> yeah, I think should, that's like a setting yourself up for a lot of disagreements. But I think I do think that art is communication. You know, that's one thing that my my art teacher, Alice a. Cock at SBA said to me, which made a lot of sense. And I do think that if you don't share the work, it makes it a lot harder to keep it going because you're in kind of a closed loop with yourself. And it's really easy to, to kind of wonder, why am I doing this? Speaking for myself, I mean, I, I always feel encouraged when I share the work, even if even if the reception isn't good. I, I always feel like that I learned a lot and I feel I understand how to move forward better whenever I share the work. I'm an avid sharer, possibly an over-sharer.
1: <laughs> no such thing. <laughs> I want I <don't> to <laughs> read a little bit from your artist statement that I uh, my favorite part, and then I kind of want you to expand on this, but here we go. (laughs) For Derek, the process of sorting, folding, and stacking adds a layer of meaning to the work. When he comes across a dress with a hand-sewn repair, a coat with a name written inside the collar, the work starts to feel like a collective portal. Derek's goal is to celebrate and honor both the individual and the community in each work he creates. Can you expand on that a little bit? That's not bad. Right? <laughs> <laughs> it's so good to have your work read back to you, right?
0: I'll keep that. Thank you. <laughs> a lot of different aspects of my work are kind of touched upon in, in that sentence or two. And I think it probably to give an example the most recent project is a project called the witness and it's a seven foot tall sculpture that is configurable in multiple ways it's made with a wooden armature that is filled with uh, secondhand clothing that was all collected during the pandemic in new york so the fact that it's all it's all clothing from new yorkers in my mind it is ultimately a collective portrait, you know, and the and the idea that if you, Walter Benjamin once said something like, to live is to leave traces. And I I feel like clothing really does carry a trace of the people who wore it and the way that the the elbows on a sweater will stretch out to, to suit our arm, you know, or the way that a stain will appear or a collar will fray. And it's all based on how it's interacting with our body. So, I feel like clothing, maybe more than than really any other commonplace material, has a really close connection to the body and to the person who wore it. So, uh, to make a a sculpture out of all all secondhand clothing from New Yorkers, for me, really feels very closely and very intimately like a portrait of, of of, of all of those people. And so it, it was a bit of a heavy piece to, to, to work on because uh, the pandemic hit, hit New York so hard. And with all of my work, you know, whenever I come, come across a garment, whenever I'm handling a the garment, there's um, always a certain amount of tenderness and an awareness that the person who wore this garment might not be here anymore. So there, 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 is, there is that, especially with, with this project made with clothing that was donated. During the pandemic, because um, so often when people pass away, their clothing is donated to charity. This clothing came from a, a company called Wearable Collections, um, and they have a drop box in Brooklyn. And so the clothing was brought directly there and was given to me by Wearable Collections. And going through those those garments, you really feel like wow, I'm really there, there's a lot, there's a lot of Brooklyn happening in here, and Brooklyn has has been uh through the ringer in the past year. Um and so the clothing the clothing expresses that. You know, so so there's there's that aspect in that. And then also I opened up the donations to people in the Catskills as well, which is where my studio is. And so I got to directly um connect with people and hear hear about their their experiences during the pandemic, and one thing in particular that had really pretty intense was a woman came to my studio who called herself Mama Bear, and um, she brought me a bag of clothing and showed me um, all of these t-shirts that um, had these these strange these strange kind of organic holes holes in the front of them, and she explained that her son, who's autistic, coped with all of the stress of the pandemic by by chewing holes in the in his t shirts, and so uh, she gave me the, all of these t shirts and bandan and bandanas for that matter, washed uh, of course, but that evidenced all of all of that all of that living. And um, and all of that coping, you know, and so it's been a, a great project, and I'm uh, I'm I'm going to be uh, extending it and and sharing it in the Catskills at the Catskill Arts Society um, next month. So if anyone anyone who's hearing this is in the in the Catskills area, this will be in Livingston, Man, for the next two months.
1: Wow, that is such a beautiful project, and I'm so happy that that exists. And what a you know intimate memorial to to covid and 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 piece of work i as you were talking my my really close friend actually who is a you know my friend's son he he did the same thing with anxiety the chewing thing and wow yeah and i was just kind of contemplating as you were saying that like little you know parts of clothing and i my very close friend here my my you know my only friend before i moved here her and i Share clothing and we're, you know, happen to be the same size, right down to our shoes, which, you know, is something (laughs) that you do when you're like a teen, but we're both (laughs) in our 30s and it's really keep it going. I love it. Yeah. It's really special and beautiful and something that I don't take for granted. And you know, I think it started because I was new here and I only wasn't planning on staying and only had a suitcase and no one was shopping at that time. I couldn't really go to a store and, you know, I didn't want to do a ton of uh, online shopping. I I guess a lot of people were doing that, but anyway, we started sharing clothing and mostly me borrowing things from her, right? Because she had (laughs) everything here and she has this pair of shoes she she walks in a very certain way, like on the sides of her feet. And we would go on a ton of walks together and we were noticing it. And we were noticing like the way that the indent in her shoes. And recently I have a pair of shoes that I've had, you know, for like two years now, since I've gotten here that were hers that she, you know, was like ready to get rid of. So, you know, they had already walked a lot by the time I got them. And then I have walked a lot in her shoes. <laughs> and it's so funny. I put them on the other day and I was having a... I think it might be a bunion, like a pain in the side of my foot, not the side that people normally get bunions in. I did a lot of research on this on Dr. Google. It's called a Taylor's that. bunion, like on the <laughs> left side of your foot. Anyway, oh. when I put on Christine's shoes, it was like the part that was not broken down from her where her foot was, was like really thick still. And it was the exact padding that I needed for this like Mm -hmm. funny bunion I had. It felt so kismet and special. And anyway, (laughs) it's also very intimate, you know, to, to share clothes or to, to see someone's clothes. Like there's just a, yeah, obviously it's, you know, environmentally great (laughs) and consumption and shopping. And, um, you know, I, I, just, I love that about sharing clothes. I love that about your work. Can you, can you talk about that about, where we are with shopping and consumption. And how how does that relate to buying new clothes? And what are the implications of that?
0: That's a really cool story um, about you, her, um, the way she walks on the outside of her feet, complimenting what was going on for your foot. That's yeah. amazing. Isn't
1: that interesting? <laughs> that yeah. is really
0: cool. Well, that's good. Um, you know, really, I know like only kind of just enough to be dangerous when it comes to textile recycling. You know, it's obviously so much in the world that I travel in, but it's not really my course of study, <laughs> you know, but um, really the basic reality of it from from really what I have gathered is that we we all just need to consume much, much less, maybe if we cut it down like 90% you know we might get back on track but it's it's so it's so out of control and it's getting much worse the i think i saw a study of women in england the average um garment is only worn four and a half times everyone i say to that says no that's impossible and it, i hope it is but another fact or stat that i came across recently was that The average lifespan of a a garment, including the possibility that it gets recycled and reworn by some other person, um, is only five to six years. And so even if we buy something and then donate it to a thrift shop and it actually gets purchased, it's still going to end up becoming garbage in five to six years. It's like 16 million tons of textile waste a year. So like, that's, that's the only, that's the only number I'll give you. Cause I I don't know about you, Katie, but numbers, big numbers like that, just kind of like, they just aren't real to me. Like I can't really make sense of them. You know, the biggest problem is the overconsumption. And then with the overconsumption, thrift shops only have limited amount of square footage. You know, even a big giant facility only has a certain amount of floor space and so the garments um that they take in sometimes they sort it sometimes they sort it into grades and and the, the stuff that is not going go to go onto the floor of the thrift shop a certain percentage of it gets tur- turned into like uh carpet batting or or, or like, like furniture batting or like carpet um, lining or wall insulation. But then most of the stuff that's really not not desirable anymore ends up just getting landfilled or incinerated in the long run. And then there's another percentage of it that ends up going to emerging yeah, economies, um, typically Africa or Malaysia. But, but that's not a solution either because because then what ends up happening is it ends up creating these these uh, these whole economies in these other countries of uh, that are based around our unwanted clothing so there's some problems with that right right there off the bat i think that we can all kind of imagine in terms of this is basically white people's clothing going over to continents that are mostly populated by african american black people or malaysia asian people and so there's there's the whole there's that there's all of that but then but then also um as they go through it they, they 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 don't want our worn out t-shirts they don't want our dress shirts with stained armpits they don't want that either so that stuff just ends up going into the ocean or into a mountain of clothing they they like they have like areas air it's whole swaths of the desert that are just piled, you know, fifty feet tall with clothing, you know, just piles of it, just like it's like it's mind-boggling, you know. And the other the other thing is those countries before this whole thing, before all of our clothing was before not all, but before that clothe, that percentage of our used clothing was getting shipped over um, seas um, to these countries. They had their own economies for clothing. They were making their own clothing, and it was in a style that's indigenous to them and that is traditional to them, and with the textile patterns that are. That have deep traditions, and those industries have collapsed because you can just get um, you know, can get you can get an entire bale of clothing for ten bucks. It's not practical for people to spend twenty dollars for a dress. You know that is made locally by someone that is in the traditional style and one other thing there there is there there is recycling at the at the fiber level so that you know garments can be respun into into yarn but generally it needs to be most of the stuff that is recycled at the fiber level it has to be a hundred percent one thing so hundred percent wool hundred percent cotton if it's a cotton poly blend and even even if it is 100% wool, you still have to mix new wool in because the fibers, once they are um, cut up or, or respun, they, they get shorter and shorter and shorter and become weaker and weaker and weaker. So they have to be added to fresh fibers. So the one ironic or surprising thing is that you, you, I think of, I would naturally think of polyester as being like the worst fiber because like that's just plastic. But actually, it can be infinitely respun. I'm told by uh, by Adam from Wearable Collections. So, it, but it's all it takes time and energy. Now that I've totally depressed you, Katie, because <laughs> I know that you probably like me like to buy clothes.
1: I I you know I love having new things. I think going back to my point about sharing clothes with Christine, I think that we want to switch it up you know what i mean like we do get tired of of things and so i i do understand that but the joke i kind of make here is that i have like four things to my name because when i moved when i moved um you know not actually but like i don't have very many possessions because when i knew i was going to be leaving new york i pared down everything and then really started fresh here and with that i'm i'm aware of the simplicity of like I was traveling for so long in a suitcase where I had essentially a capsule wardrobe, right? Like I had only what I had. And that was so useful to me. And I like the idea of a uniform and wearing the same few things and cycling through it. But it does get stale and you want to switch it up or it helps with confidence to like have a new boost for a minute. And of course it it leaves, but there, There's something, you know, I'm really an advocate for sharing clothing because I think that that it, you have to kind of, the, the stars have to kind of align for everyone to be okay with that and to work out like size wise and location, but clothing swaps and there's, there's so much there. But, you know, t- to your point, the, the piece about the really big numbers, like I'm so glad we had this conversation because even though it is bleak, it's good to contextualize and articulate in this you know story format because hearing those really big numbers doesn't really do it for me. My friend Zoe read me something from I think it was in the New York Times or something maybe you saw it, but how human brains like can't take in big numbers like the big figures I f- there was like some game where it's like how. How much is whatever, whatever. And like our brains just can't really <laughs> conceptualize it, right?
0: Yeah. Malfunction, malfunction. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah,
1: exactly. And and I went in my really close friend here, Heidi, has this brand Ozma, and it's a beautiful clothing brand. And she's been on the podcast. And I went into her studio the other day. And and I, I really, you know, I I have like a few key pieces from Ozma, And I'm like building it up. And I I have, you know, just I'm trying to have a minimal wardrobe for sure. And I think that's beautiful if we can do it. And there's, you know, there's a whole, that's a whole different con- kind of conversation, but I went into her studio to, to get something recently and, and, or visit her or something. And she had like huge amount of fabric scraps, like huge, huge, huge in, in the, in the corner. And, um, you know, and, and her brand is, is a big brand. I mean, it's a small brand relatively, but it's, you know, it's known. And she was like, can you believe that this is how much we have? She, and it's, it's very noble of Ozma and, and her in and the studio and everyone who works with her that they're, you know, trying to work with these scraps. But she was like, you know, if I have this much in product scrap and fabric scraps, think about right. a huge company. Zara. Right, right, right. So it's just, you know, why? And it, and she had told me how much it was or, or she had told the studio and they were like, yeah, we knew it. Like we heard the number, but then when seeing it in her studio is really different, you know? And I think your work translates that because there's something about, you know, visually and story. Like we learn, I learn better than, you know, hearing a figure. So yeah, it it's really intense and, and I'm I'm happy that your work exists to bring attention to this issue.
0: I need to do a better job of counting the garments I put into my pieces or, or weighing them because I could immediately correlate like a, a sculpture with how much waste is landfill, how much textile waste is landfill per minute or whatever. And I did actually do a project like that for the Department of Sanitation in New York a long time ago. It does help and it is it is mind boggling when you see it with your own two eyes, right?
1: Yeah, it's something that makes it more concrete and kind of hits differently, right?
0: Yeah, I, I did. Um, I, I do think that from, from what I understand, scraps from new manufacturing, from clothing manufacturers, those, tend, those do tend to get recycled at the, at the fiber level more so than, than, than post consumer waste. And so, that is, that is a hopeful thing. And I do think there are, I think, you know, I think a lot of designers are really, a lot of companies and designers really are aware of that and, and really are making an effort. And there are companies springing up also to, to use those scraps. Um, there's Fab Scrap in New York, which is really very um, artisanal and crafty. But then, um, Wearable Collections actively collects um, scraps from manufacturers and works with companies who who re-spin either through through carding or through through belting. That's good. So that's good. Yeah. yeah. But but it's it's hard though. And and I, I don't wanna I don't wanna give anyone the impression that I'm perfect because I probably bought um, you know, I think I bought four pairs of pants, six pairs of underwear, and probably like ten pairs of socks this past year. You know, and and I'm not even dressing up for work. You know, I'm I'm a remote worker, so so uh, that's just most of the time. You know, clothing has a life cycle. You know, it it wears out, and and uh, uh, unfortunately, it's so prohibitive to to repair things or even find people who who know how.
1: You know. Yeah, I mean I like to repair things. Like I I was just wearing a coat today that I've had that I wore all around New York that don't doesn't get much wear today or here and I put it on today cuz it's kind of chilly and feathers are like coming out the back because it's been mended so many times and I kind of love <laughs> that, you know, cuz it adds character but but then it, also there's the environmental impact of laundry. Like I don't have laundry at my place. I never have, but I, you know, I I have to the other day I was like, I just need to buy more underwear because I need to do laundry less, you know? So it's like, there's, (laughs) there's kind of, you know, it's, it's challenging.
0: Yeah, no, it's, it's definitely challenging, but also like things wear out, you know, it's like, there's only so much you can do. I, I, I I did have like a a pile of jeans um, that I was like, I'm not going to throw these out. I'm just going to, you know, I'll wear jeans with a, with a hole in the knee or even, even, you know, starting to fray in the crotch, but eventually it gets to be like, you're, you're kind of like uh, some kind of creep. You know, if you don't, if you don't really address the holes in the crotch of your jeans, you know, it gets to be like, you're a flasher, you know? And so when it got, got to that point, I, I you know, I, I started putting things aside and I thought, well, I'm, I'm not going to throw them out. I'm going to repair them. And so I took, I took, um, I combined some things. I used some things for scrap and I used some things, you know, for the whole garment and tried to make patches. And I did that, but I don't have the skill. So it kind of felt like I was wearing a diaper when I was wearing the repaired pants, you know, and then the fabric that I'd used for the, for the new repairs, that tore. (laughs) So a lot of most things just kind of wear out eventually.
1: Yeah. And it's good that we got to that point that like we tried, you know?
0: Yeah, we, Yeah. exactly.
1: And that my my grandma used to say, like, when I would be like sucking with a straw to the very end of, of something, she'd be like, you've struck bottom. Like, I think we've struck bottom with, with some of our clothes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It's There's true. feathers it's coming out of a jacket <laughs> or whatever it is.
0: I've been trying to like also just buy things that are high quality that are kind of, in a sense, basic You know, so just a really good button down shirt, you know, or just a just a really good pair of like linen or flax slacks. You know what I mean? And in the hopes that that stuff at least will last a long time or be worth repairing because it was good to begin with, you know?
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So we talk a lot on this show about understanding ourselves better, getting better at being ourselves, and learning more about ourselves, and journaling, and therapy, and connection. What's cool about this week's sponsor, Everly Well, is that they help you to better understand where you are on the inside of your body by delivering to you at-home lab tests, Everly Well at-home lab tests give you physician-reviewed results at an affordable and transparent cost. So with over 30 tests, you'll be able to choose the ones that make the most sense for you so they have a sleep and stress test. There's a thyroid test that's really important for me. There's a food sensitivity test. And here's how it works Everly Well ships your at home lab tests straight to you with everything needed for a simple sample collection. It's super easy. You just use a prepaid shipping label, mail your tests back in to a certified lab, and in just days, You get your physician-reviewed results and actionable insights sent right to your device. Couldn't be easier, really. And you can share these results with your primary care physician, and then they can guide you and get you the care that you need. Over 1 million people have trusted Everly Well with their at-home testing. I took a test to learn more about my thyroid and my metabolism and... Let me tell you, it's really, really useful. I take medicine for my thyroid and I need to check those levels to make sure I'm on the correct dose and I was able to talk to my doctor about it. It's really cool and I'm I'm happy it exists and I think you might like it too. So for listeners of this show... Everly Well is offering a special discount of 20% off an at-home lab test at everlywell.com slash let it out. That's everlywell.com slash let it out for 20% off your at-home lab test. everlywell.com slash let it out. So a couple weeks back, we did an episode about Bitcoin. I learned a lot I literally knew nothing about crypto but I do know that when things go up and down it can be a real bummer sometimes and whether or not crypto is in your portfolio it never hurts to explore alternative investments and one of my favorite artwork is really cool and interesting and I would love to tell you more about it. So fine art isn't just beautiful, it can also be an investment. Contemporary art prices outpaced the S&P 500 from 1995 to 2020. And more and more women are taking advantage of it. According to Forbes in 2021, for the first time ever, women investors spent more on art than men. And while most of us can't buy, you know, some of the art we go look at in galleries, today's sponsor, Masterworks, makes it possible for everyone to add blue chip artwork to your portfolio. They're even giving our listeners priority access at masterworks.io, promo code let it out. You can definitely check out their offerings and learn more at masterworks.io, promo code let it out. See Regulation A disclosures at masterworks.io slash about slash disclosure. Today's sponsor is so useful, GoodRx. It's a way to finally stop overpaying for your prescription medications. Prescription prices can vary between pharmacies by as much as $100. I had no idea, meaning that, you know, you're never really sure what you're gonna pay. I really didn't even know that the price varied. So not only will GoodRx find you discounts, it will also let you compare and find the lowest prices at pharmacies near you, like CVS or Walgreens or wherever you wanna go. Now you'll always know what you're paying before you get to the pharmacy. Even if you have insurance or Medicare, GoodRx often beats your copay price. In fact, anytime you need to fill a prescription, just check it out. You know, you can just go to GoodRx and see. They could save you potentially up to 80%. That's really cool. I have to take some medicine for my thyroid and GoodRx is helping me to make sure that I'm getting the best price for this medicine that I take every single day. So for simple and smart savings on your prescriptions, check out GoodRx. Go to GoodRx.com slash let it out. That is GoodRx.com slash let it out. GoodRx.com slash let it out. GoodRx is not insurance, but they can be used instead of insurance and 2021, GoodRx users saved an average of 79% on retail prescription prices. Thank you so much, GoodRx. I want to talk a little bit about your dad, Richard. I know he was an artist, like you mentioned, and I'm curious how, if you can expand a little bit on how he impacted your art because you it's so beautiful, his art. You have it on your Aww. site and you've been putting it together and it w- it was really beautiful to look at. So I just love if you could talk about that a little bit.
0: Oh, thanks. I'm so flattered that you asked. Um, he, he would be thrilled to know that we are talking about his art. He was um, I think the uh, classic Sunday painter. He went to, uh, he, he um, had a, a day job at the family business, which was to uh, fabricate uh, things out of styrofoam. Maybe that's part of the reason why I'm recycling has ended up in my in my artwork, and maybe in some ways I'm repenting from from, from all of this all of the styrofoam foam that my family produced but he, it was uh, it was uh, the, the the factory was actually a really creative place uh, for him and me. He had a um an art studio. In the factory, there was like a corner office kind of partitioned off area that was called the design studio, but really it was his art studio. So he would go there every Saturday and invite one of his four kids to come along we would get into all kinds of shenanigans and like there was a box chute where you could that ran along the whole length of the building from the fourth floor all the way to the basement where you could you could pop a box into the chute and it would go all the way down into the basement uh, or, or they could they could um, kind of intercept it and bring it into the shipping room. We would like make a car. Shape. We would make a box into like a car and put it in the chute up at the top and get in the and get in the box and ride it all the way down four stories, and then it would come out at the bottom onto this like wheelie roller thing, this like rack of wheels, and it, and pick up speed, and then we would go crashing into a wall. <laughs> so that was that was that was a, that was I think the 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 most memorable thing about it for for my other siblings for sure but I'm the i 'm the only artist, and so I used to actually go and make art with him too. I would observe him working, and he would set me up uh, a spot to work and When I got old enough, I was allowed to use the wood shop. not really so much use the power tools, but I could access all the wood scraps, and I would take all of the wood scraps and make these sculptural objects and paint them. And then it really was this kind of cool thing where like we we you know, where I ended up be, I think becoming the ultimately the, the biggest customer for those studio days, whereas my I was the youngest too, so my older siblings kind of probably wanted to go smoke pot with their friends. Um, <laughs> and so so I would continue to go to the to the studio with him, and we'd probably have a studio day. You know, he'd do his thing. I'd do my thing. I'd be aware of him. He'd probably have one ear to to me, making sure that everything's good. It was cool, and and it, I, I really, um, you know, absorbed a lot of little lessons over those those days. You know, like I think he really instilled the idea in me that there's no right way or wrong way to make art. There are no rules, and he demonstrated that. He would um, take planks of of star foam and uh, cut them cut them into like sliced bread. Just cut cut like a, a bunch of pieces of foam up into like a, these kind of panels. And then he'd fill up a um, this large basin that he made, which was probably like six foot by by four foot wide and just about maybe six inches deep. And he'd fill it up with water. And then he would take he had like squirter bottles, like sort of like what, like a ketchup bottle, mm-hmm. but he'd have them filled up with filled up with different colors of oil based paint. And he would use the squirter bottles, and he'd like like draw on the water he'd fill up the basin with water and then draw on it with these squirter bottles. And then he would take a piece of foam and he would lay it into the water and, and peel it back out again. And the oil paint that was floating on the water would then adhere to the styrofoam. Whoa. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And he would get these really kind of swirling cloud like images, but, but you can also do some things that were sort of geometric too. And, he would, he would take a stick and stir the water around in a way to get the paint to cohere and coalesce into a certain way. And then he'd very quickly have to jump in there with the foam and collect it before it changed again. So it was kind of like arresting, arresting the movement of the, of the paint floating on the water.
1: Wow. Yeah. That's so cool. It sounds mesmerizing.
0: It was, yeah, it was cool to watch him do it. And in his last years, he died of Parkinson's, but at the end of his life, he just really went even further out there. And he took um, storm windows that were had been left over from like the previous owner of the house. There must have been, you know, 30 of them or something. And he started painting directly on, on the glass And then would get it to a certain state and then maybe let it dry and then go at it with a razor blade and scrape parts of it back off again. And then let that dry and maybe add another layer and then go at it with paint stripper and like remove areas and then add in again. And then where there were transparent areas, he'd add paper behind it so that that ended up becoming like the ground they're nuts. These pieces, and uh, I think they're actually, even though he was he was having a lot of challenges um, with his, his his mental functioning, uh, I think really some of his strongest work.
1: Yeah. Wow. Wow, that's so cool, and maybe even impacted it. You know, in ways that you know it wouldn't have been with without that. That's yeah, really fascinating. and love Yeah, that. truly truly oh thanks for thanks for sharing about that and everything i oh yeah i could talk to you forever but we're going to wrap up with the rapid fire questions but this is a special edition because i got some (laughs) questions um crowdsourced from friends of yours mostly sasha so (laughs) (laughs) let's do it so just kind of say the first thing that that comes to your mind. Some of these are, are longer, but first of all, she says, hi. Hi, <laughs> Sasha. Exactly. And then she said, ask about Calicoon life. So can you talk about being upstate and how you ended up there? Because you were in New York before that, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah. We still have our, we still have our place in Queens and, um, we go in, you know, for maybe a week, once a month, um, lately during the pandemic, um, that all shifted when my husband went remote. It's so amazing to be able to um, have um, a country life again because I grew up in it, it, where where my my family lived was this town of five thousand uh, in the Adirondacks, um, which is um, at, when I was growing up is pretty much exactly like what Calicoon is now. <laughs> in that, in that right. it, there's a lot of really small independent businesses. There are people who are who are affluent. There are people who are struggling, and everything in between. We have a a one-room movie theater. It's in a Quonset hut. And, uh, you know, a a half dozen uh, restaurants. We have one supermarket. Do we even have a stoplight? Uh, No, we don't even have a stoplight. (laughs) No, we have one. We have one up at the top of the hill. That's right. We have one. (laughs) but um it's just a totally different pace things things take uh take much longer to be completed like if you uh, if you think you're going to build a house in 6 months think again <laughs> it's interesting there's just um there's just so many creative people in that area that many of them are ex-new Yorkers and it's super unpretentious i've been at at dinner parties um uh, having a, a lovely conversation with 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 someone, and I never think to ask them what they do. They don't ask me what I do. We just chat, and we, you know, and and then I find out that, um, you know, they're in a, a Spielberg movie, you know, or they um, are a famous musician. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's 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 really not. Uh, it's really so on Hamptons or even so on Hudson Valley in that there's really pretty much no careering happening. So it's just a lot of creative people just being together, helping each other out.
1: I've gotten to go several times. Cause we should say that Sasha has a house upstate there. And I spent a week there after a, like really intense breakup. And she kind of swooped me away. It was over Valentine's day of, 2019 if people have been listening to this podcast they heard an episode recorded there um but it's such a special place and all the stories that I've heard from Sasha too of like you know she'll be at a party and and be like oh yeah I was dancing with you know I won't say who it is but I was like oh wow you know or you know it's just it's really special and cool and I I had never experienced anything like that until I moved here actually and I live in a neighborhood of You know, I live in Los Angeles, but the neighborhood that I live in feels similar. You know, where we all kind of do our own funny, creative things, and you know, we'll meet or talk at the coffee shop, and you'll meet people just as people, and and that's kind of how I've met all of my friends here. And then they're like, "Oh, cool, you do that thing," or you do, you know, it's it's really nice to asking the question of what do you do. I think is so, you know, and I noticed that when I was in. Europe, like it's not really a question that they ask when you first meet someone. And I really love that. And, you know, I think I've kind of replaced that with asking people, you know, what are you doing today? Because I think you can kind of figure out what their, you know, what their work might be from that. And it's just kind of more interesting and more present. And I I love that you're there. And, and it's it's such a special place of my, you know, limited Time that I've spent there, but I, I really, really hope to go back. And the the next thing that Sasha said is he's like the mayor of Calicoon. Whenever I'm with him, everyone knows him and loves him. So I'm curious because I I love that. And I and I feel similarly about Sasha, you know, I feel like she's like that for the East Village. Like everyone knows and loves her for sure. And I'm curious if this is a defining characteristic for you wherever you go and if it's you know something that you identify with because i think it's so beautiful and i was actually just talking with my friend captain at the coffee shop about this recently because he's someone like that and and a friend of his was was commenting on that and people have said that about me too, of like, oh, really? You know the person there? And this, you know, this person comes, you know, running into so many people. And there's something so comforting about that. And we were talking about, you know, the power of the neighborhood or thinking of like Jane Jacobs or thinking of how, you know, just even familiar strangers. And, And then back to your point of record club and the pandemic, you know, I think it's the people that you interact with daily and being part of a city is something that, You know, I really appreciated when I lived in these village or when I lived in Greenpoint or, you know, definitely coming here. And it's a little bit discombobulating before you have that. And, And so, yeah, I'm just curious if you can talk about that and your experience with it.
0: Well, I think that's a definite exaggeration. I think that I think I can definitely remember a couple times meeting Sasha and Mike for for a, for an egg sandwich in town or something. And between the parking lot and the cafe running into like 10 people, I knew, you know, but I don't I don't think it's always that way. I really, don't. <laughs> but um, I definitely am. uh and and very social and I'm very, uh, and, uh, and I'm really, I really love people. I can, and I think I probably get this from my mom to some extent, but I really can talk to anyone for a pretty long time before I, before it becomes, sometimes you talk to someone and you can go for like, maybe, you know, if you're really, if you really like to like people and you really like chat, you can probably chat with anyone for 20 minutes, you know, really. Uh, and uh, at that point, you know, y- y- you may really truly run out of things to talk about with someone who you just don't have anything in common <laughs> with, you know, but I'm always willing to try, you know, and always willing to go there. And and so, and, and it, it comes easy for me, I'm just naturally curious and interested in people, you know, and so like, I can, if someone tells me, I'm a proctologist, I will be, I will very happily ask them, questions about what it is like to be a proctologist, you know, for at least twenty minutes. Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's so funny. I've never put like a timestamp to it, but but I'm similar and I was thinking, about. I was like, oh, I could, I can punish people, <laughs> you know, like I could talk to someone. It's easy, you know, it it comes, it, well, it, it is easy to me and to us, right? Like I think everyone is interesting. And I think if you're present and you ask questions, like I, I talk about this often with my friend, Sophie, where we're, we're both Midwestern. So we kind of thought this was like a Midwestern or people pleasing, like slightly anxious, like habit of ours where we you know, have this tendency to be very socially aware almost to our detriment, right? (laughs) Where we're we're like, I want to make everyone feel included. I want to ask everybody's questions and then work sort of drained afterward because it does kind of take a lot of energy, but also sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes when you get into that good volley with someone, there are some people who are just, you are very comfortable talking with and can go on and on and on and have to almost force yourself to to end. And there are other people where it feels like it's pulling teeth. And, you know, there are other people who I just feel uncomfortable with for some reason, which has nothing to do with them, which is maybe just me feeling like I've put them on a pedestal or I care what they think about me too much, you know, so I'm weird about it or I make it awkward. And, you know, I believe it's only awkward if you make it awkward, right? You know, so it's like, I end up oversharing to compensate for like, I don't want to ask questions that they're uncomfortable with. So I'll just at my own expense, you know? So it's just, it's interesting to think, think about all these dynamics, but yeah, I think we're similar in that way yeah i
0: think i think you, i think it, there is a certain amount of self awareness that's required for that to really work you know to and to feel grounded to to a certain extent in that regard you know as 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 the conversational person but one thing that i've really had to to teach myself over the over the past 10 years or so is i'm so interested in chatting with people and i'm so and i'm so interested in people that if i'm not careful i end up I end up um, going to a, a cocktail party and I only talk to one or two people and other people that are there that I really do need to speak to. They leave before I even get a chance to, to to chat with them. I've had to really kind of walk into a cocktail party and just look around and be like, okay, who is the person or who are the people I absolutely have to speak to tonight? <laughs> just make a conscious decision, you know, about that and then try to make that happen. <laughs>
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's tough because I think it's, it's such a redeeming quality and such a thing that I love about you and myself that we can talk to anyone and, and, you know, are, are curious, but I think, yeah, it can be, and and you never want to be opportunistic or to like think that you want to talk to people. It's not even about that. It's just like, oh man, I didn't even get to catch up with my friend. I haven't seen forever because I was like, making sure this new person like felt okay. You know, it's like, it's, it really is. It's, it's interesting and and definitely something that that I relate to. And I, this lends itself well to the next question that that Sash has for you, which is to that point about like, it can be draining sometimes. And so, so she asks, how does he replenish himself? He gives so much to others and is so loving and generous with everyone I know he meditates, but what is his self-care?
0: Oh, I think that for me, really, maybe it's a, because, it's you know, you mentioned astrology earlier. Maybe it's because I'm a Gemini and I have these two sides. But like, I also am someone who craves aloneness and, and who craves quietude. Is that a word? I like and, it, <laughs> and um, I will as much time, uh, or actually probably a lot more time of mine is spent alone in the studio or in the garden weeding, you know, building rock walls or pruning an apple tree. And really, I'm I'm truly alone for hours, sometimes whole afternoons, practically. And so that's that enables me to then go to a cocktail party. Um, I'm probably sounding like a drunk here with all my, <laughs> my cocktail parties, but but that enables me to then have, be fully present, you know, and fully enthusiastic about about socializing. But but like I definitely like if if I um, if I do too much of that, I do really kind of start to disintegrate, you know, internally, and I start to sort of I, I know. I'm self-aware enough to know when that's happening. You know, and to be like, okay, gotta run. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I definitely I uh yeah, I de- my inner world starts to kind of disintegrate and collapse after a while if I don't get enough of my own my alone time.
1: Yeah, I'm the same way. You know, I I my mom always talks about Myers-Briggs because she works in HR and I'm like the least extroverted of the extroverts, right? Or like if it's a spectrum right in the middle, or I feel like I need to find my Goldilocks constantly of alone time and with others' time. But I feel like we're all sort of like that too, you know? It's kind of like with any sort of astrology or personality test, if you read all of them, you're like, I kind of like them all, you know? So it's it's self-awareness, right? And it's like individualized hmm i'm curious you know with that where do you feel the most inspired you know any where do you get your ideas how do you catch them you mentioned dreams but anything else i'm trying to think
0: if if, if any of my dreams have come into my artwork lately i actually made a piece recently which is which was totally based on a dream it was it was like i was going through a pile of of like lumber in Jackson Heights in my dream. And I, and I, oh, I pulled up a piece of plywood and there was an art object laying there. And that's, that's what I made cool. that art object. So, God, that, so cool. that can happen, but more often than not, really, it comes from daydreaming. I'm a really good, I'm really good at that. <laughs> yeah. It's really like, just kind of like thinking and just kind of like one thought leads to another leads to another leads to another. And But I think also important part of that is I write stuff down. Like I've always been really good at having a constant thread going where it says, like I have one in my, in my Apple notes called art ideas. And anytime I come up with an idea for an art, uh, an art, project or an idea about how to modify something I just go right in there and I write it down. I've got my phone all the time. I always record everything. I've got like probably like you know 30 sketchbooks too. I write them down so you catch it catch it exactly that's a theme of ours today.
1: yeah my friend Christine's shoes she's really good about that too just like prolifically creative in so many different mediums and and always uses her phone and gives that advice to to catch it. So one, one last from Sasha. So she said, I married him and Scott, you know, <laughs> and uh, that's not really a question, but you know, Sasha, we should mention is an officiant of weddings, if, if people don't know that from listening, one of her many talents. And so, you know, something we, we often talk about on the show is relationships. So I would love your, you know, greatest lesson on partnerships or romantic relationships.
0: Mm-hmm. It's so important to stay open to possibility. There have been many times in my relationship where I've thought, oh, you know, I tried this, that didn't work. I tried that, that didn't work. I, I, did, I did therapy. I, you know, I tried this. You know, I, I can't fix this. You know, I, I'm all out. I'm done. I'm done. I, I'm not, I'm done. I, can't, I can't go forward. There's nothing else. I got no other tricks up my sleeve here. So I guess it's over. And um I think that the thing that really um that really changed when I met my husband is I as I um I had a really good therapist and she said to me, Okay, so you're done. Um so tell me, what do you think would happen if you actually didn't leave? And, and it was like oh, gosh, that never occurred to me. <laughs> um I don't I, I don't know. And so based on based on that session. I, instead of going home and packing my bag, I just went home and days passed. And what transpired was things that I could have never imagined, like things end up resolving themselves in ways I would have never dreamt. He did things and said things that were so effective and were exactly what I needed. And that I never thought he would say or do that were so um, that like I I, I didn't perceive as being possible, you know? And so, and so I think really the idea of just being open to possibility, you know, and I guess saying it another way is just sitting your ass down and just, and just waiting.
1: Yeah. Wow. I'm just letting that land. I think that's really important.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Patience and openness to possibility. Because most things really aren't an emergency. They really often feel like an emergency when you're upset or when you're distressed or depressed. They feel like emergencies. But most of the things actually, they're not. Nothing's really going to go, whatever's wrong now, it's not really going to be any worse if I just sit my ass down and shut up for a couple of days. Not really going to be any worse. (laughs)
1: Right. And I think we want to do something to relieve discomfort, right? Like we don't want to feel feelings we don't want to feel, right? So we want to turn to something to make progress or to, yeah, to initiate something. And yeah, I think staying with those uncomfortable feelings, there's richness on the other side of them or change, or there's simply, you know, they dissipate after you know, some time.
0: Just one quick thing is my friend, uh, David's uh, parents were in town one time and, and I like to ask them that same question, Katie, and I asked them, so, so what's your secret? How, how is it that you, you've kept your marriage together all these years? And, um, his dad just goes, well, well, we just didn't get divorced. Yeah. And, <laughs> and, and then, and then his mom chimes in, she goes, and it's so expensive getting divorced. <laughs>
1: Yeah, that's it, right? Like staying with the discomfort and like choosing someone that you want to sit still with for a while. Yeah, yeah. What's your greatest lesson on friendship?
0: Hmm, mm, that's a tough one. I think accepting that relationships ebb and flow, and they uh, and we kind of um, inhale and and exhale people sometimes. As this and and that, that's actually. Not something to uh, be hurt by. That it's just actually a natural part of life, you know. And 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 there are times when you have so much privacy and so much in common with someone, and there are times when you're really on uh, in in a different place. And um, and I think the I, I think if you can be okay with that, and be comfortable with that, and not have that be painful, you can really um, you can really have some really meaningful long-term friendships where you, where you have cuz you know there's that expression there's no friend like an old friend and I do think that's true but it doesn't mean that I was consistently close with that person always
1: that's such a wise sentiment and something that I was just thinking about earlier today of that's been the lesson for the last few years for me and I think probably for a lot of people with the pandemic but it was definitely clear for me in terms of moving cities and you know maybe it just at the life stage that i'm in but it's non-attachment right like to be able to do that lesson it's like you have to be non-attached and 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 that you know there are, of course are, are moments where you'll be needing more from a friend or a relationship and that ebbs and flows too. And I remember feeling really self-conscious about that, like with Sasha, actually, like before, you know, during that time we were talking about where, you know, I I like joke about it now, but I was so distraught and I like, didn't want to be alone. I would like follow her around the East Village and be like, you're going to yoga. All right, I'll be at yoga. And I would just like lay on my mat. Like, I don't want to be at yoga. I just wanted to like be around someone, you know? And so I think it's like, there's times where you... You know, have this like level of closeness, and you're kind of in a rhythm with someone. And then this happened to me just today, actually, where a really close friend of mine was spending a lot of time with a, a different friend. And I noticed something bubble up in me where I was like, had a little bit of like it felt like I was twelve. I was like, oh, am I jealous? Am I feeling like I'm going to be? replaced or out of the group or not, Am i not cool as, as I'm not as cool as that person or, you know, and it's like, I was able to, you know, kind of see that happening now where, you know, a year ago, even, or two years ago, I would feel so attached to, you know, let me insert myself or let me, you know, and even like also to just the lesson that friends take time, friendship takes time and builds and can't be forced. And, there are times when you're you have to make yourself feel okay because then you're not going to be as attached to like please include me in group, you know?
0: Right. Yes.
1: So one more quick thing from Sasha. She said that you were a college DJ. Can you just tell <laughs> us briefly about that? Actually,
0: twice. Um, I grew up in uh, Boston Spa, which is near Saratoga Springs, which has uh, Skidmore uh, College. And once one summer, they got entrepreneur, entrepreneurial and decided to open up the station to townspeople during the summer to keep it going uh, rather than closing it down and so um, my mom luckily saw that in the paper and told me about it, and I was completely obsessed with punk at the time, and um still kind of am, and so I went and applied, but I did so badly on my audition, but they I guess they felt. Sorry for me so they offered me the the slot from 2 a.m. on Saturday night to 6 a.m. <laughs> and so um, uh, that was grueling. Um, although I never missed a thought. and the upside was I had a lot of hours to fill, and so a lot of time to practice, and um, it was amazing. And I do remember, I do remember getting a phone call one time at four o'clock in the morning, and I could hear all of this noise in the background, and this guy goes, "Hey, it's uh, you know, I just, I just want to let you know, I'm calling from the refinery down." Down in in Kingsbridge, and uh, we listen to your show every night. We love your yeah. show.
1: <laughs> it
0: was so sweet, and um, I guess the night shift, you know. And then uh, when I went to a two year school right after high school for communications, we had a little radio station there on campus. Kind of a letdown, actually, because they didn't broadcast beyond the walls of the campus. <laughs> but um, but I DJed there too, and um, I still have some of my playlists. Actually, I should share one with you. I played a lot of sushi and the Banshees and the Cure.
1: Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah, please share. Oh, that's so cool. That's actually, I didn't even think about this until you were speaking, but that's something else we shared, Derek, because I, in high school, actually, I did the announcements. And and then I also, like, we had a radio club that we would, like, we had this grand idea that we would, like, play music between classes like oh then that five God, minute that in between adorable. but it, it was like a dumb idea because like people want to talk during that time like no one wants <laughs> to like in, like you couldn't hear any it was so silly but then in college actually 89 FM because it was also uh, I grew up in the college town that I went to school in and I I would go down to this basement and like play whatever I wanted and it, I was so nervous but also like it was the middle of the night so no one was listening and it was the best and I that radio station itself is like how I learned so much music that I still love today and it's probably going to be the coziest music to me of my life because it was you know this college radio station played things that you know at the time I I wouldn't have gone to hear without it and it was really special yeah amazing
0: wow boy that's a deep connection to that to that music of that time for you then
1: Yeah, for sure. Well, maybe I'll play one of those songs next record club. I'm a guest at love that would (laughs)
0: love that. I'll try and steal you again. I am, am, you know, the worst guest stealer.
1: Yeah. It was fun (laughs) being your guest instead of Sash to this one. (laughs) Well, I think you're incredible. Thank you so much for talking with me. The name of this podcast is Let It Out. So is there anything that you wanted to let out that I didn't ask you that you never get to talk about that you wanted to share?
0: Yes, tomorrow I'm going to um, release hundreds of scans of family photos that I ended up with when my parents died. And I'm going to release them to the rest of the family and put the boxes away, far away, deep into storage. So I don't have to feel guilty that I've been hoarding the archive anymore. So I'm going to let that out to all of my uh, extensive family and, and cousins who are spread all over by via facebook tomorrow so that's very exciting
1: i love that that's a great answer to this question probably the (laughs) best one that i've that i've gotten very literal (laughs) well you're incredible thank you again so so much we end letting out a deep breath so you ready
0: i am so ready
1: inhale let it out Ah. (coughs) This was so much fun
0: Katie Thank you so much for including me
1: Thank you so much It was incredible Be well Thank you so much for listening All the way to the end I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Derek As much as I did He's truly really special And I'm so happy That Sasha Connected us and that he did the podcast and took the time. So, follow everything that he does. If you're in the cat skills, go see his art. I'll link to him and his Instagram and give you the secret emoji to comment on his Instagram and my Instagram to let us know you're listening all the way to the bitter end. Also, if you want the show notes of this podcast, email directly to you, plus to be on my newsletter list to get. A short essay from me, or sometimes a long essay from me. The link to join the Let It Out letter is also in the show notes wherever you're listening to this, just click on it and you can sign up. In this case, I have the links to Sister Karina Kent's Art Rules, the fresh air episode with Kirsten Dunce that we discussed obviously derek's art and the post that he made about his dad and everything we mentioned in here is in the show notes thank you for listening to the art rules at the beginning and if you want to know more about sister karina kent highly recommend looking into doing a you know a google and and checking out her work she passed away in 1986 But I really wonder what she would be exploring and what her art would look like now, you know, through the pandemic and through everything going on. We can just think about that in our minds. And the other thing I wanna say, I hope that you are having a creative practice Whatever that means to you. You know, maybe you're going through Julia Cameron's The Artist Way or doing a version of Morning Pages or you're journaling or you're taking yourself on an artist date, if you will. Or you're talking to your friend about a movie that you liked or you're just being present. <laughs> One of the rules, you know, always be around. I, I think that really relates to the part of this conversation where Derek and I were talking about our mutual love for the neighborhood and connection with people and being present and then looking at everything as an experiment rule four I think that one is is one that I constantly return to and finding a place and and staying there for a while I think that one also relates to Derek's advice about romantic relationships and I think that's kind of it right is is deciding that you want to linger somewhere and learn and grow and I think that that is hard in a world with so much choice and anyway I was gonna say well you know I'll just say it the Julie Depp quote I always say which is there's so much I want to be doing I end up doing not much and I think if we just sit still with something for a bit and commit to trying I think having a practice creatively of some sort, whatever that is for you, has the potential to be really healing or just nice or feel good in some way. Last night, I went over to previous podcast guest, Heidi, who I mentioned last week as well in the two-part episode with Natasha, and we mentioned her here too, but she hosted an art night, and I was collaging and... Our other friend did watercolor and someone drew and she mended a vintage shirt I bought and we ordered a pizza and it was just nice so I highly recommend getting together with friends and all making art or doing it by yourself or just being a little bit more present in your day I think that can be a creative practice or now that things are opening up going to movies or museums or gardens I want to do all of the above thank you so much for being here if you need me I'm at Katie katydalebow on Instagram this podcast has an Instagram at let it out with three t's send me a message let me know where you're listening feel free to tag us I would love to see and the emoji for this week's episode to comment on Derek's Instagram which is linked and all of my Instagrams Is I was going to say be creative and pick your own, but I guess that sort of defeats the purpose because I wouldn't know that it was specific to you listening to the end of this long episode. So sure, pick your own and put a record. I'm sure we've used that one over the years, but it feels fitting here. Thank you again for being here. It means so, so, so much. If you liked this episode, Please share it with a friend and I will be back next week with a new one.